Your car doesn't get much of a summer break. Bugs, UV rays, and pollen can all cause damage. Stay protected at WetGo with WeatherShield and a free month of unlimited washes. Just purchase your first month of WetGo Go Unlimited and your second month is free. Wash as many times as you want. And when you choose our all-weather or showroom pass featuring WeatherShield, you'll say bye-bye to bugs all summer long. Sign up today at getgocafe.com slash unlimited. From coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Laugh and learn while you listen to a brilliant display of radio. Online, online. with Bill Alexander. Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here on our flagship station, WMCK.FM, outside of McKeesport, Pennsylvania. 107.5 FM, WLDJ, Newcastle. Mixtape Radio International, Awakens.eu, Steel FM at SteelFM.org, WWSX Radio 99.1, Radio Rehoboth in Rehoboth, Delaware, Orca Radio, OrcaRadio.CoffeeCop.com out of Owensburg, Kentucky, Parkway 106, Parkway106.com, Pittsburgh, and we're streaming online at iTalkNet out here in Brownsville, Pennsylvania at iTalkNet. Hope everything's going fine for you on this Monday evening as we record. I've been looking forward to this interview for weeks. Um, When I was a young kid, uh, and I, I remember this as clear as day, one of the local TV stations in Pittsburgh would run the beach movies. Beach Blanket Bingo, everything that Annette and Frankie did. Well, there was a performer in those movies that I actually had a crush on and never knew her name until recently. Her name is Donna Lauren. And I found her. Her music is amazing. I'm going to play the song that she is known for, or at least they say she's known for, from the movie. On the phone line right now, I have Donna Lauren. Donna, how are you doing this evening? Hello, Bill. How are you? It is such a pleasure to have you on the phone. I hope you heard that. I did have a crush on you when I was a kid. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't... I'm flattered. (laughs) Well, I was going through some stuff over the last two months, and I'm, I'm, I'm finding these things out, and I'm going wait a minute, I know that person, I know that voice, and then I did some research going, that's her. She's, she's, I, I, I can still see her singing that song, but it's so great to have you on the program tonight. So, Donna, you've been performing for how many years now? Oh, all my life. Um, and, and I was reading um, some information about you, and I find this very interesting that you were the Dr. Pepper girl from 1963 to 1958. How old were you when you started to be the Dr. Pepper girl? 12? I mean, honestly. (laughs) Well, I'm your friendly pepper upper, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, you'd pep me up. I signed a a seven-year contract uh, when I was 16 years old. Okay. And uh, and I I was faithful to that until I got married when I was twenty one. And when you turned twenty one, is that when you decided I've done it? I'm retiring, and you just basically stopped performing. Well, there were a lot of issues that uh, brought me to that decision, and um, but I became a mom. Okay. And uh, I wanted to raise my child. And know, you know, let him know me, and I wanted to know him, and um, and so th- I thought that that was a very valuable experience. To this day, it is. So, so <laughs> I made the right decision. 
when you go back online and you put your name in YouTube, and there is a ton of stuff out there, one of the first things I noticed is that you were on the Mickey Mouse Club at the age of 10. Mm-hmm. And on your 10th birthday, and you did two songs and everything else. How did they find you to put you on the Mickey Mouse Club? How did they find? Well, back in those days, they had what they called cattle calls. Okay. And and I lived in a place called Mar Vista in West Los Angeles, two miles from the ocean. And um, my mom didn't know how to drive. And so she and my two little brothers uh, <laughs> hopped two or three buses. Wow. And, uh, and, yeah, and traveled to Burbank, which was very far away, although it was kind of coincidental that my adopted dad, who was an animator, was working at the Disney Studios at the time. Oh, okay. He was, he was one of the animators on... Um, Peter Pan and Dumbo and Lady and the Tramp, those, those kind of movies. And, um, and so I had an audition. And when I arrived, you know, I was still nine. And, uh, and my, my mother and, and my two little brothers took a seat. We entered this ginormous soundstage with probably 30 to 50 young people like myself and maybe their parents. And one by one, each one was called up. Well, my dad was aware that I was there. And so he asked to leave his station and come to my audition. And um, they called me up. What it was, it was a long table with maybe a dozen um, men who were going to judge you? Okay. And and uh, and I sang a couple of songs, and um, and they called me up to the table, and my my adopted dad joined me, and um, and they said, you know, we want you to be a mouseketeer. And and my dad just chimed in and said, Oh no, she's a solo. <laughs> So, so they they said, okay, well then she can be a guest and an honorary musketeer on the talent roundup. Okay. And so the two songs that I auditioned for became the songs that are on the show. Yeah. Now, the the did you have any formal training up until that point, or are you just a natural performer? <laughs> um, I had. Um, I had a pianist who would teach me songs, um, but at that young age, Bill, you know, you really don't have the the pipes to, you know, be trained per se. Okay. Um, so so, and then my my adopted dad would would uh, take the recordings because it was the reel to reel tapes in those days where I would go and learn songs, and then the pianist would play just you know his part so I could come home and practice mm-hmm. so every day every single day my dad would sit next to the tape recorder and I would stand there and sing along okay so that was that was pretty much you know my training very early and it was yes it was pretty much vaudevillian born out of a trunk <laughs> so you you so the Disney, um, the Talent Roundup, then was your first TV appearance, or did you do anything before that? I did local amateur shows um, in Los Angeles. There were um, the, the the East Coast had Arthur Godfrey, and the West Coast had their version called Rocket to Stardom. Okay, and uh, and Al Jarvis, and so I would I would do you know that, but my very first. A professional experience was when I was eight years old, and I did a Meadow Gold uh, ice cream commercial for radio. Okay. Now, wh- when did Dr. Pepper find you? Now, that was an unusual situation because by then I had an agent, and um, I know that a nationwide search was being held, but um, 
I was one of two finalists without any, you know, pre-auditions to be flown first class to Chicago. Wow. And do a screen test. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'll tell you, I, I I have an autobiography that I'm I, I'm turning into a podcast where I read from my manuscript. Yes. And then um, and it's. It, it's it's uh, a chapter where I th- I think that it's already on. Um, uh, no 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 no, it's coming up. Uh, I just completed the one where you were talking about the Mickey Mouse Club, but um, going into Dr Pepper. So I will I will give everyone a little preview of what my podcast is like. Which and the reading. Let me interrupt you for a second. Oh. Which the name of the podcast is "Love's a Secret Weapon." And uh, yes, you and just started this real soon, and I, <laughs> when I got the, I got the information officially about the podcast and started listening to it today, it is very enjoyable because you are very natural when you talk about your career. Um, I had the opportunity mm-hmm. to listen to the uh, the one about Batman and Cesar Romero, which I'm going to talk to you in a few minutes, because okay. I, in the beginning when I started doing these programs. I, I, uh, people came to me and said, Hey, we have this podcast. We want to promote it. And I said, okay. And I would drag my feet and I realized something that you're promoting it through me because I can give everybody a thumbnail sketch and direct them to you. So you can give them an in-depth, um, information about your life, which I think is very interesting about what you're talking about. And, and the book that you wrote, the autobiography and, and being able to give your perception on it because we see here so many people that write these autobiographies and yet they don't do anything with them after they wrote them. But now you're talking about them and you're able to give some personal yeah. input into it, which I think is really nice. So thank you. You, 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 you did the Dr. Pepper, you got the five-year contract. I mean, you were traveling everywhere. I mean, you were with Dick Clark. I mean, you were doing these road shows that is just amazing for someone at that young of age. I mean, we can't think of that today, but think of that in 1963, just going and doing that. Yes, yes. And, um, oh, gosh, the very first year uh, when I did my series of commercials, um, there was what they called a franchise bottlers convention okay. in Dallas. And, um, and, you know, <laughs> remember when you drank a, a, a beverage out of a glass bottle yes. and then the bottle was, you know, you had a deposit and mm-hmm. then it was sent back and it was sanitized until, you know, an incident occurred and they changed it. The early days oh. of recycling, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so this convention was held on... November 22nd, 1963, in Dallas, uh-huh. where the Dr. Pepper's headquarters are. And um, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I was getting ready to perform in the ballroom in front of 2,000 uh, of these bottler, you know, owners and um, all over the country. And they were going to preview my first commercial. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I, I want to say that I was hired to do this to increase business because Dr. Pepper was a regional beverage and they wanted to expand coast to coast at the time. Yes. And they thought, you know, that a teenager could appeal to more teenagers and, you know, and build the product. Especially so anyway, a teenage girl. there's a lot of teenage boys out there trust me Uh. (laughs) okay absolutely absolutely and so i was getting ready and um if you recall november 22nd 1963 is a very significant day Mm -hmm. and i um i would i had the television on as i was getting dressed and i saw president kennedy and jacqueline you know, um, in their open vehicle, cruising and um, turning the corner. Well, the hotel that I was in was on that corner. Wow. And when they turned the corner, you know, I saw what happened. 
so, you know, being 16 years old and um, relating to a young new president. Yes. Um, I was completely devastated. Well, the phone rang, and it was the CEO of Dr. Pepper, Mr. Parker, who um, my mother, who was helping me get dressed, um, answered the phone, and Mr. Parker said, you know, hand the phone over to her because my mother said she's very upset. And he said to me, and this is a man in his 70s, he said to me, no one is indispensable, dear. And that meant you better get down here and do your job. And, and so my whole life, you know, my young life um, was, was um, geared toward supporting my family. Okay. And that was, that was the plan at a very young age. My mother and father, you know, constructed that whole idea. And so, you know, my first responsibility was to take care of them and, and my brothers. And so I, um, I had to compose myself. And while I'm composing myself and thinking about the president, and at that moment, we didn't know if he was alive or mm-hmm. dead. And uh, remember? Yep. Um... And so I ended up going downstairs you know my mother escorted me she didn't say a word she was frozen uh i guess in the moment of you know needing to obey what the company was saying and you know and just kind of blind blinding herself from whatever else was going on at any rate i entered the the ballroom trying to think of what i would perform because there was a piano on the stage, and uh, while these 2,000 bottlers were, you know, men and it was their men and their wives were there watching these commercials and enjoying themselves. So they had no idea what happened. Uh, it had been announced that the president had been shot. Okay. And and so they continued on with their business as usual. And I had to think about what in the world I could do to have my own kind of integrity, you know. Um, And so I chose two gospel songs that I knew, how to play on the piano and sing. Okay. And so that's that's what I did. And and I knew how to play the song Ebb Tide. And um, and that was that was the end of it. Not a word about the president. You know, it was um, it was quite astounding. And um, and it was the same night that the Dick Clark celebrity party was supposed to be aired that I had co-hosted with Dick Clark about a month before, where all my peers in Hollywood were at this private party that was televised on ABC and sponsored by Dr. Pepper. Okay. Well, needless to say, that show was postponed because obviously here we are with uh, an assassination. Well, it, it's, so, just, it's just amazing to me that you were able to stand up there and perform and have enough composure to be able to do it after finding out what happened. It's about responsibility. You know, some of us just come in. <laughs> you know, sometimes I don't know what your childhood was like, but if you've had a, you know, a carefree, quote unquote, normal childhood where you can just play and, you know, kind of discover life, um, that just wasn't my experience. Okay. You know, from a very early age, you know, I, I took on the responsibility that was presented to me and really what do you what is a kid supposed to do you know <laughs> you say yes to your parents right so later on in life did you resent your parents for this situation that you were responsible for taking care of them or did you just say hey this is what what I was to do well at 21 when i knew i was going to be a mother uh-huh. and um and the obligation was still there uh, 
you know, I decided to take my power back, <laughs> to tell you the truth. And uh, I called the CEO of Dr. Pepper, and I told him that I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. I'm newly married. I want to be. I want to raise my child. And um, and then I, you know, I did that first, and then I informed my 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 parents. And um, you know, and I, no regrets. So how did that go over with your parents? Well, ultimately, um, what it ended up being is, I'm, I'm going to say something that um, has been a predicament for many young artists. Okay. okay? Um, I have a friend who has an organization called A Minor Consideration. He's, his name is Paul Peterson, and he used to be on the, the Donna, Donna Reed Show. show. Mm-hmm. And Paul wrote a book called A Minor Consideration, and then he started an organization, which I was a part of. And basically what he did um, was to defend young people whose parents um, siphoned off the money that they earned. And when they became an adult, you know, they ended up with zero. Right. And that's more or less, that's more or less what happened to me. Okay. So, so, you know, I would say, no, I don't resent my parents, but I would have loved to have had support and, um, and a more understanding. See, it's amazing to me because you had such a phenomenal career up until the age of 21. You were on Shindig, which was a weekly program, correct? Oh, yes. So you were doing that weekly. You learned new songs every week. You were performing. It was a high-energy program. You did the Beach Blanket movies. And how many movies were you in? I was in five. Five of them. So you, I mean, this was your life for five years. How were you getting your education at the time? (laughs) It was definitely nonstop. Um well, you know, I, I really enjoy reading, and so, I'm, again, I'm pretty much self-motivated that way. But um, when I signed my contract with Dr. Pepper, uh, I was just starting the 11th grade. Okay. And, um, and, uh, and I was enrolled in a private school where I could travel and send in my work and receive a diploma. And it was, you know, really a non uh fulfilling experience but you know what I was doing and I have to say that traveling the country especially being in the south and um, the experiences that I had in the 60s that were so relevant even today maybe even more so today that I I got to experience firsthand and that is an education in itself right um, so how long were you on Shindig, which the concept of the program, I think uh, a younger generation today really wouldn't understand it because again, you were singing the top songs of the day with big time performers like the Beach Boys, the Righteous Brothers, the Supremes. You had, you had all these, and I guess the Beatles were on there too. Mm-hmm. And the role, That's I mean, right. I mean, you were, you were working with some of the big acts at the time, which is amazing. And it was a weekly program and you would do the hot, hot songs of the day. Cause there's a few that I've seen you sing that, um, that, uh, oh, the one I'm, the one it's escaping me right now, which, uh, you covered, which was, which was amazing. I'll, I'll think of it before the program's over. But again, maybe, you, maybe it was Wishing and Hoping by Dusty Wishing and Hoping and Shaking All Over was the other one. Um, okay, okay. I mean, that one right there is just wow. Because we're so used to the major performers doing that you did your own interpretation and you made it your own. Which was kind of interesting, which, again, is as a talent, because most people are trying to copy the performers that had a hit with it. You didn't. You made the song your own for that period of time. Well, I have to thank the producer, Jack Good, who was an English gentleman that started his career in England, was very good friends with Brian Epstein. And um, therefore, you know, when he decided 
to come to the United States and promote this idea of incorporating the new British invasion with the American, you know, rock and roll right. uh, from West Coast to East Coast and everything in between. He loved the R&B. He loved Buddy Holly. He loved Chuck Berry, you know, Little Richard. He, that's Domino, you know. Um, the roots of how the Beatles got started. And, uh, and so he incorporated, you know, this racially, you know, integrated kind of environment that was really innovative. And then he had, you know, on the, on the West Coast, we had the top musicians that played on all the hit records as our backup band. The Wrecking Crew. And Yes. And a little known um, uh, tidbit is that even the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Kinks, the Who, anyone that appeared on, uh, on Shindig went back into the studio. This is how authentic it was. And they played the soundtrack. They made their own soundtrack, and then they performed live to it. Okay, I was going to in front of an audience. I was going to ask you how they did that. Now that makes sense, um, and I know we're watching we're watching video footage on YouTube that is not the greatest quality, but you can tell that they're performing live. You really can. Um, so well, I'll, I'll explain why. Because th- that was a show that was made for video. Okay. And video in 1964, 65, 66 was not appreciated. And what the sponsors of the show did made kinescope copies for their records. And what you're seeing are kinescope copies of the original video. Yeah. Which. But you know what I have to tell you, Bill? One time I was in Paul Schaefer's office, and he was a huge Shindig fan, and he wanted to listen to Shaken All Over, and it's absolutely adorable. He took his chair, and he scooted up to his television about three feet away, uh-huh. and just like he was a kid, he said, I used to run home from school to watch Shindig. <laughs> um, and all those musicians, I mean, we're talking Leon Russell. You know, just the top, Glenn Campbell, mm-hmm. the guitar, you know, I mean, just the top musicians in Los Angeles that, that were on that stage. And then the dancers, the same dancers that were on Shindig ended up being on the Monkees. Oh, I didn't realize and that. The, and the choreographer, you know, was Tony Basil. Okay. So, or Re- she was an assistant at that time. How old was she at the time? Oh, I couldn't tell you. I I, I, I I was always the youngest there, so I'm not sure. I didn't, honestly, I didn't think she was that old, but wow. Um, that's impressive. That really is. So, on the, the, the performers that you met on Shindig, did any of you guys strike up uh, friendships? Because I know Bobby Sherman was on there also. Oh, yeah. Well, Bobby, Bobby is very, very dear. And... Um, I, you know, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, once he was kind of completed with being a teen idol. Yes. He went into uh, EMT training and um, he ended up working for the Los Angeles Police Department training police officers. I did not realize that. While he was training police officers, they put him through the academy and he retired not that long ago from being a police officer, and he told me the most adorable story. He said just before he retired, he was in a car trailing a woman that was driving a little out of the lane and stopped her and had to put handcuffs on her for an, a DUI. <laughs> okay. And while while he's putting the handcuffs on her, she turns around and looks at his badge and says, "I used to watch you on TV." <laughs> and then he then he broke out in Julie, 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 do you love me? Uh, 
You're listening to Online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM, also 107.5 WLDJ Newcastle, Mixtape International Radio, MTRI.co.uk, Awakens.eu, Steel FM at SteelFM.org, WWSX Radio 99.1, Radio Rehoboth in Rehoboth, Delaware, Orca Radio at orcaradio.coffeecup.com in Owensburg, Kentucky, Parkway 106 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at parkway106.com, and of course we're streaming live online at italknet.com here in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. So, Donna, you're, you're, you're on Shindig f- the whole run of the program, correct? From what year, what year did it start? That was in 1964. Actually, on September 16th this year, it's going to be the 56th anniversary. Wow! So you were on that you were on that program, and then it was canceled. Did you guys yes, have well, any idea that it was going to be canceled because it was so popular? Yes. Well, it, as I said, you know, Jack Good, the producer, absolutely loved, you know, soul. And, you know, Aretha Franklin was on the show, and Jackie Wilson, and Marvin Gaye, and and, um, and right next to, and Tina Turner, for that matter. Okay. And, and, um, and right next to, you know, he, physically, physically, he would create these sets where um, the mixed races were in close proximity, and month after month the broad the uh, company abc became more and more uncomfortable okay and um and so finally i've forgotten exactly what it was it was early in 1966 that jack good decided to do an about space he said he could not compromise and um and and i ended up departing about the same time uh, we did our last show on location in Hawaii, and um, and uh, the show was kind of watered down, and that's why it and it was number one. It was number one in the nation while Jack Good was was at the helm, and um, and and creating you know a a, rea- a reality that you know who, who this country is, right? You know. <laughs> And what this country loves, you know, if they love Jerry Lee Lewis, but they love Jackie Wilson too, mm-hmm. and um, and so why why separate them? You know, that separation is it's what's causing our um, dysfunction on this planet. Right. Now, when you were on Shindig, when did you start doing the? When did you start um, working with American International Pictures? Was that around the same time? Uh, that was actually within uh, the first year of Dr. Pepper. Oh, really? I didn't realize that was that early. <laughs> yes, because there was a master plan. Okay. And the president of the advertising company, uh, Grant Advertising, was a screenplay writer as well. And he co-wrote uh, Bikini Beach, which was the first movie I was in, and that's where I sang Love's a Secret Weapon. And he continued writing, co-writing, and um, and had this idea of putting me in this uh, the movie. Oh, wait a minute, was it Bikini? I think it was. It was Muscle Beach. Oh, that's right. Muscle Beach was the first movie, and I knew Dick Dale and Stevie Wonder were going to be performing in it, and I was placed in Don Rickles' Big Drag Cafe. <laughs> Yeah, I as, know the movie. As product, <laughs> as product placement, right? Right. I was supposed to sit at one of the tables and hold a Dr. Pepper. And um, and the music director got wind of my commercials and, and told Dick Dale, you're doing a duet. And originally, Muscle Bustle, which is the song that we sang together, was um, co-written by Brian Wilson. And when Brian wrote co-wrote the song with Roger Christian and Gary Usher. He went into the studio and made the sound, he made the um, the track for it and also sang the background. You know, I mean, he has such a beautiful voice and new harmonies. 
So he did all that. And then Dick Dale stepped in, and I stepped in, and we put on the vocals to Brian Wilson's musical track. And, and that became our, our duet and my initiation into the Beach Party movies. That's very interesting. Now, did you have, I mean, so you worked with Annette Funicello, you worked with Frankie Avalon. Did you feel that you should have been a little bit more prominent in the pictures, or were you okay with them being the main focus of the films? Oh, they, they were America's sweethearts. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. Because... I mean, when I first met Annette on Mickey Mouse Club, you know, she was literally somebody I could look up to. She was 14 when I, on oh, my 10th wow. birthday. Wow. And she, she was always very dear and, and friendly. And, um, and then we got to work together again, you know, several times. Because um, recently I had, had the opportunity to interview her friend, Frank, um, Fabian Forte, which I've interviewed multiple times. And he was very close to Annette. And when she was dealing with all her medical issues and everything else, they were trying to do a fundraiser. So when you worked with Annette and with Frankie, did you keep in touch with them later on? Or did once you got out of the business, it basically ended that way? Because I'm always curious how, how long friendships last in Hollywood. Yeah. Well, I was always much younger, so it wasn't like, you know, a buddy-buddy kind right. of friendship. But um, she invited me to her home. She was a family-oriented person. Mm -hmm. and, um, and when we were on the set together, she always embraced me. And then in the 80s, um, I... <laughs> I found out this weird coincidence that she and I were investors in an apartment building. <laughs> and, and so I ended up uh, speaking with her, and that's when she told me that there, she and Frankie were going to do uh, a kind of back-to-the-beach movie. I was going to ask you about that. But what, what I heard when I was speaking with her is a gravelly voice. Yes, and I, I, I perceived that that might be the illness that was, you know, what she was dealing with. And, um, you know, it wasn't long after that that uh, she ended up being very debilitated. Mm -hmm. And it's so ironic that she was, she was a ballet dancer, you know, and then she loses the use of her body. It it, it 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 was such a sad situation because again, like you said, she was America's sweetheart. Now, did they ask you to be in the movie Back to the Beach? Since you were so prominent uh, in the other films, point, at that point, I I wasn't really interested in doing that. I was still raising my family. Okay, I had three children and husband. Uh, I was I was more interested in, if if you know I'd been writing songs. Uh, in my marriage and um and so i was more interested in maybe contributing that way oh okay but um they already yeah they already had their 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 script and you know their ideas so uh that that went their way because i i find it interesting when these when they do these um these basically rebirth of the program or or try to return to something who they include because they try to include a younger a, a younger uh, um, characters to bring it in. For example, Lori Loughlin was in it at the time, which she was a newbie in 1987 when the film was released, and people that were very were up and coming at the time. So I was just curious if they included you. Now, after the uh, after the uh, the beach movies, then you did TV um, such as Doctor Kildare, Batman, and the Monkeys. Yes, well, it was very curious. Once Shindig was off the air, what replaced it? Batman. Batman. <laughs> and again, I went for an audition, and I was hired to play Susie the Mall to the Joker, played by Cesar Romero. Yes. And I, <laughs> I heard... So that I, was a... I heard the that podcast <laughs> that you did concerning that so of course i heard it and i had to go online and watch it and you play that part so it, it, deadpan 
to Cesar Romero, it's funny because it's like he is this villain, yet you're you you consider yourself a thief too, but you're the one that's in control of the situation, which I think is really funny. Wow. And then he gives you the fur coat, he gives you the bracelet, and a bottle of Mexican perfume. Which I'm going Oh, wouldn't you just <laughs> wouldn't you just want that? I'm going, remember, what does Mexican remember, perfume smell like? <laughs> well, remember the skunks, you know, that darling little skunk Odie Cologne? Yes. In, uh, I guess Warner Brothers. Well, <laughs> I would say that it's probably something on that. <laughs> well, I saw it going. Something in that vein. I've never heard. I mean, I can understand if it was tequila. But not Mexican perfume. Okay. So I I got a real kick out of that because you played that part so well. And and you, again, something that you were able to do it. Now, when you were on the monkeys, and unfortunately, I'm a big big, um, monkeys fan, um, especially with uh, Mike Nesmith. So what character did you play in the monkeys? I played Princess Colette. Okay. and, and and Davy was to be my uh, my husband. Ah, captured, captured. Of course, of by course. My <laughs> so the whole storyline was is that you came to the states. You were looking for someone to marry, and Dad found him and kidnapped yes. him. Well, uh, you know what? I guess you'll just have to. Tune in and, and watch it. Watch Tune in next it. week at the same time. I'll have to look that one up that's, again. That's right. But um, I, I got such a kick out of doing that. So let's talk more about your music career because you signed a contract with Capital in 1964. And I recently had an opportunity to buy um, two CDs. One is Donna Lauren, These Are the Good Times, the complete Capital recordings. And then the other one is The Very Best of Donna Lauren, the American International Film um beach blanket bingo and it has it has your music on it would you have rather been acting or rather been singing what was what was the thing that you enjoyed doing most well i started singing when i was two i mean literally started singing songs when i was two and i would say that that's my my go-to for comfort okay um, still, still do to this day, um, and I think it's a soul connection. Whereas the acting was um, part of my my career, you know, it was it was a, a way to express myself, and um, and it was it was actually fun because you know of all the different shows that I got to be on, you know, that were hit shows. <laughs> That was not a plan. It just happened. Did anybody ever approach you about giving you your own program? Because honestly, at that, I mean, you had the look. You had the talent. I'm surprised no one tried to build something around you. Uh, Interesting, Bill, that you say that. Remember the movie Love the Proper Stranger? Yes. With Natalie Wood Mm -hmm. and Steve McQueen? Yes. It was written by a man named Arnold Schulman. Okay. And um, and Aaron Spelling and Danny Thomas had a production company uh, at NBC uh, who uh, brought Aaron brought Arnold Schulman out to do a script for TV, and um, it was to be a pilot for for a TV series, and I played the role that Natalie Wood played called it was called two for penny and it was um based on a greek family i had the two brothers remember they were so possessive and overprotective of her they didn't want her to date steve McQueen. right and finally finally at the end of the film the bells and the banjos went off in the middle of Times square <laughs> and uh yeah and I... and so we did we did an hour a special that was shown twice on the air, starring Bill Bixby and myself, and Michael Considine and Danny Thomas played a Greek priest. And um, it was not uh, picked up as a series because, uh, this, again, I got caught in this 
interesting situation of it being too ethnic. Okay. That was before all my children, you know, it's like, not, it wouldn't, no, all in the family, I'm sorry, all in the family, you know, broke that bubble. Right, right. That's really interesting. I did not realize that, um, that, that there was something there, but the goal was to, to, to get picked up and actually uh, do a weekly program with it? Yes, it was. Okay. That's just amazing. So of all the songs you've sang, which one's your favorite? And I know that's like picking who's your favorite kid, but <laughs> of all the ones you've ever done, which is your favorite? Oh, well, I have to admit, when I was 15, I got turned on to Edith Piaf, uh, who sang a song that in English is called If You Love Me. And at the time, it was just before I was signed to Capitol, I was on a label called Challenge. And I was recorded uh, with that song. And uh, I did it on bandstand twice. Okay. And I, I, again, I do it to this day. I adore that song, and I love the message. If you love me, really love me, let it happen. I don't care. And it's just a gorgeous, mm -hmm. gorgeous message and a gorgeous melody. So if I ask you what your favorite, which one did you hate doing? Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, I may be, I, there may okay. be too many to I think of. A, no, I have, a, I, have a, I have a firm answer, and I would say probably one of the Dr. Pepper jingles. Really? <laughs> it was to the it was to the melody of Glow Little Glowworm and they had me do many, many versions of, of that. So I would say that might be <laughs> Do you remember it? Good times begin with Doctor Pepper, distinctively different Doctor Pepper. <laughs> okay, that's bad. <laughs> So when you were on Shindig and they said, okay, Donna, we need you to sing this song this week. How did you react to it, especially if you didn't care for the song? Well, I had a special relationship with Jack Good, the producer. He was a very kind and, and um, compassionate man. And um, he treated me with so much respect that he included me in the decisions. He had an assistant named David Mallet, who was close to my age, he brought him out from England. And David uh, would help me choose songs. And David went on to be uh, a video, a videographer of, oh, David Bowie. And, oh, I can't even go on the list of, of every queen. Everyone in the 80s uh, was, was filmed by David. Um, so there wasn't one song that I performed on Shindig that wasn't a highlight. Okay. Even Goldfinger? Even Goldfinger. <laughs> and that that was a challenge. That was a great challenge. Because I, I, I'm, I'm sure it would be. There's one on, on the CDs that I have, and I like it, but I can't imagine them approaching you and saying, Donna, we need you to do the song, so do the zonk. I really can't imagine them coming to you and saying, we need you to record this. Interesting. You know, that, you know, little Stephen, um, Stephen Van Zandt yes. from Bruce Springsteen. Yes. Yeah, he he has that on his, his, uh, his what do you call that, the uh, rotating play on, on his little Stephen's Underground Garage. He loves that song. Really? And I, I'm sure... Yeah, he loves Do the Zonk, and uh, quite a few people do. Uh, basically, Zonk came from the Dr. Pepper commercial. When I uh, introduced the uh, cartoon that was my companion, uh, it, they were two cavemen, and one of them zonked the other, and, the, uh, and then that led to relax, refresh, enjoy it now. It's Dr. Pepper time. And... The guy needed a friendly pepper-upper okay. after he was zonked. So that, that's how that came about. <laughs> so when you were working for Dr. Pepper, you would do the shows with Dick Clark. How many, yeah. how many days 
were you out on the road? I mean, was or how many weeks, I should say? I would tell you that um, enough so that when I would return to Los Angeles with my suitcase filled with soiled clothing, yes, that my mother would be there to exchange a suitcase with clean clothing. Really? So it was like... So, so how long were... Okay, give me an idea how long you were on the road for. Uh, I can't even tell you. I mean, I had enough time to do shindig, I must say. And how long did it take um, to shoot shindig? That was three days. Wow. You were busy. Um, I did twenty <laughs> yes. Nonstop for five years. And I can understand why you retired at 21, because, again, that is a lot. So do you consider you yourself a great representation of the 60s? Oh, Bill, I would leave that up to you. <laughs> I just wondered, because you, you worked in that, that one of the most formative times in that decade. And I, I can see that, I mean, of course, you're the all-American girl, you're you're the look that that uh, that Dr Pepper was looking for. You were on Shindig. You worked with Dick Clark. You were on TV. I mean, you were pretty much everywhere. And it's amazing that you were. I mean, you were everywhere, but for that short period of time, you were probably. I don't know. Were you considered a household name, or were you just that girl that was the Dr Pepper girl? Well, I, I, okay, I can say that I received wonderful receptions okay. everywhere I went, and I ended up traveling from coast to coast, you know, from north to south to east to west, and wherever I was there, I ended up making a lot of friends. Okay. Because, I, I again, I just, your career that lasted such a short period of time, at least in the 60s, and I know you did some recording in the 80s, that is that is what you've done, what you were able to accomplish in that period of time is just downright amazing. So when you came back in the 80s, you were just looking for a singing career, correct? Um, you know, I was going through a divorce, and um, it was interesting. I don't know if, if you pay attention every month when the full moon rises. <laughs> I don't know if I do, do you... or not, but okay. <laughs> Well, I just happened to realize that every full moon during that chaotic time in my life when my marriage was uh -huh. coming to an end, that I had uh, some sleepless nights. And um, I, I mentioned to you that I, I'd been writing some songs. Yes. And so I decided to utilize that time. And um, I had the use of a studio, and I knew some musicians. I was still friends with, with uh, James Burton, who was you know on shindig and i had known since i was eight years old and um and you know he later became elvis's band leader and um you know he's one of those legendary musicians guitar players so he put together the elvis band for me and we would go in the studio uh every full moon while i was going through my my separation and um it was excellent therapy what happened is, um, you know, I never thought it would ever be in the public. It was in a box. And, um, and when I, many, many years later, when I remarried and moved to Hawaii uh, in the 90s, uh, my, my, my husband, Jared, uh, went into the garage one day and said, you know, what's in this box? And he looked in and he saw, you know, all this, these actually tape cassettes, right? Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, you know, where are the masters? And then he contacted, you know, the source and he said, you know, you ought to do something with these instead of letting them collect dust. And that's why I have a little album called Magic. Mm -hmm. And that represents my work in the 80s. But it was really therapy. <laughs> Gotcha. So before I let you go, explain to me the podcast, what brought the podcast about, and how people can find it. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, you know, here we are all over the world, you know, at home, 
um, at, you know, I know many, many people, essential workers, are out there doing their, their due diligence and so, so grateful for that. But I am one who is at home, and um, I had spent five years with a collaborator, my collaborator, Dr. Adam Garache in Australia, who is a PhD in psychology, writing my autobiography, and it had been shelved for several years, and so I suggested to him that I would be willing to read it, and then he and I would discuss it, and that's how the podcast was born. Okay. Um, and where can they find the podcast? Well, it's pretty much distributed all over, but you can go on Spotify, you can go on Apple, you can go on a free site called Anchor. There's so, so many. It's very, very well distributed. I think it's on Google. Um, in fact, I think uh, you may even have a, some information on that if you'd like to elaborate. But um, Actually, you've touched on it because it's on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and many more. <laughs> so. Yes, I, podcasts are, it's kind of like back in the day, I mean like really back in the day, even before television, I remember a little radio on my living room mantle where the sounds came out with, you know, Abbott and Costello uh -huh. and the Lone Ranger, and, you know, I would listen and it was so compelling. Well, podcasts are very much going back to that era. Yes. You know, where you really you really listen and you have the opportunity to be engaged by so many subjects. And so um, I just feel honored, you know, to be part of that. Well, Donna, thank you very much for joining me this evening. I've had a total pleasure and it was enjoyable to talk to you. I would love to do it again um, sometime in the future just to see how the podcast is going. Because, again, it was a real pleasure. And I thank you very much. Well, it's my pleasure. And thank you. It's mutual. Well, you have a great night. And thank you again. And good luck on the new podcast. All right, Bill. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Donna Lauren, her podcast is called... Loves a Secret Weapon, and again, it can be found wherever podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, and Pocket Cast, and many more locations. That's going to wrap it up for yours truly, Bill Alexander, but before we leave, I want to do the zonk, so we're going to do it right now. Have a great night, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. has been a million dollar baby production for more information go to italknet.com if you've been a renter you know it's stressful to find the perfect place but zillow rentals make it easy they have filters for pretty much everything so you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends but small enough they won't crash all weekend find your sweet spot on zillowrentals.com if you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. I'm inside King's Dominion at the brand new area, Jungle Expedition. The local species can't get enough of Toon Bailey, Virginia's first 4D spin coaster. They're also going wild for the spectacular new live show, after which they replenish their strength at the new Outpost Cafe. Uh. Oh my, I've never heard a mating call like that before. Discover a thrilling new coaster and live show inside Jungle Expedition. Right now, get tickets as low as $39.99, only at kingsdominion.com. 
Switch to Metro by T-Mobile and save more. Get the new iPhone SE now with 5G at the lowest price in prepaid. Just $99.99. I post a lot. And thanks to the iPhone SE with 5G and advanced 4K camera, I'm snapping and sharing while my followers are smashing the like button. Switch and get the iPhone SE for just $99.99. Only at Metro. Save more versus national prepaid brands. Limited time offer. In-store only. Price for 64 gigabyte model with eligible port. $60 plan and ID. See 5G device coverage and access details at Metro by T-Mobile.com.